Lord, you are creator of the heavens and the earth. You have taken care of everything that, uh, down to the smallest, most minute detail, to the grandest, biggest schemes of your redemptive story. We thank you for that. We thank you that your hand is in our lives and that we don't have to worry or fret. That you are in charge of, of kings and kingdoms. We thank you that you created us with purpose, Lord, and that you've given each of us individually and as congregations visions and missions and purposes. I pray today that we would get across uh, a bit of what us as a church or as a local congregation's mission is, that we would know your heart for our purposes as we come together and worship what we're doing it for, who we're doing it for pray that would come across clearly and uh, uh, spur us on to zeal, Lord, on, and it would encourage us. Pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So, if we want to pull up the outline side, um, I was kind of picked to do this last minute. So, I picked an easy last minute thing that I've thought about pretty much ever since I started coming to church here four or five years ago. Uh, this has been something I've tried to understand deeper, so I felt like I could just talk about it for 45 minutes without much difficulty, which I often do to, Christiana says I, I do that sometimes in the car, I'll just talk for like an hour straight on, on something. Uh, but it's usually something that's near and dear to my heart that I've considered for a really long time. So. Recently, we are getting ready to launch our new version of our website. Josiah says there's like one or two little things, maybe not so little things left to do. But he's like, it's really close. And I believe him this time. <laughs> um, this, so as a leadership team, we've, we've kind of went took what our old website content was, you know, what you normally see on a church website, you know, uh, who we are, what we believe, those kinds of things, and we distilled it down to like really express who we are as a church. And if anyone gets that, it's the people on the leadership team. That's why they're on the leadership team is because they get what we're about um, as a local expression of God's church. And I thought that'd be something helpful for all of us to get, because I'm sure some of us came here and didn't even know we had a website. Um, and they've never seen these things or, or really learned what we're about or why we're about, why we do the things we do. What's really, you know, if you could express as a, an individual, people often say, like, this is my heart. I want to show you my heart. Um, this really shows GCF's heart. Grace Christian Fellowship's heart, um, I think, is the best way to do it. Because this is what we want to be broadcast into all the world and for people to see and recognize us as a church if we could only get them to read two pages of content. So there should be an insert that you all got that has the outline of our website content. This is the most recent one. It's not up on our website yet. It might be changed a little bit, but not much. It's pretty much the gist of what's going to be on our website. So we're going to start with the home page. This is the first thing someone sees when they, they're going to pull up our website. Okay, the, It's our elevator pitch to the world. And so if you don't get our, if you have been in our church for a really long time and never got our elevator pitch, congratulations, you get you get it today. I'll do the work for you. You don't even have to go to the website. So, the first things first is the introduction. Then we're going to talk on the same page. There's three key things that we thought were important for people to see about us. Um, like key selling points of what we think is like what separates us or sets us apart uh, or we see as so dear to us that we don't want to give up these, these key aspects. And there's three of them. The first one being community. 
then discipleship, and then outreach. And you'll see that on a lot of churches' websites, and I'll show you what we mean by community, discipleship, and outreach. Then we'll go to our About Us page, and it gets a little bit more into where we came from and where we're going. I guess where we are. Um, Starting with a summary about us, that's a little bit of a history of when the church started, um, why it was started, and then going to what we believe. There's certain doctrines and orthodox thoughts that we will not move or waver from. You know, there's certain little things like how we do baptism, that there's different viewpoints even in our church or even amongst our eldership of how they would do baptism, because that's a little thing. We can be diverse in thought about that, but there's certain things that we believe that we will not waver on. And if we waver on them, we might as well just go home and join a different church. <laughs> Which there's churches that would agree with us on, on that, what we believe thing. It's the really core things that you see in a lot of, a lot of church history, what the church has always believed. And then our mission, our purpose, the thing that, why are we a local congregation and why didn't we just join another church? That's really what sets us apart. And that's what, what really binds a lot of us together long term. If you share a mission or a purpose with someone, you know, that, that's what I'd say is the key thing that gets me and Christiana through any difficulty my wife, Christiana, like gets us through any difference of opinion, anything like that, is we have a shared common goal and mission. And that's, that's comforting to know because it means we can overcome any, any obstacle, really, because the Lord's given us a shared goal. And that goal grows all the time. That's wonderful. So, starting on with... Uh, the introduction and community slide. The first thing to get about, you know, you can read the introduction yourself. It's not anything. What's in the introduction is explained in the rest of the, the content on the outline. Okay, so we'll piece that together. But I want to zoom in on the community aspect right here. And the first thing that is important to us is, is community is the pattern. It is what God, God designed community. He didn't design Christians to be soloists. You know, he didn't design us to go live in a hobbit hole by ourselves. <laughs> he designed us for community. Um, I think like one of the most tragic things or one of the most, like one of the worst things that a, a penal system could do, you know, like a prison or something could do is solitary confinement. That's real torture. Like you can take physical pain and, or emotional mental pain or whatever, but when it comes to like separating you from any other person, separating you from community, that's tough. That's because God created us that way. He created us, you know, Genesis 126, if we can turn to that slide, uh, says, then God said, let us, and this is referring to the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has always been in community amongst himself. That's what's special about the Trinity. There's God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons in one being. Because he's in community. He says us. He uses the words like us. And he said, let us make mankind in our image. So I guess we have to ask ourselves, are we three persons in one being? No. <laughs> We're not. Even if you think you have multiple personality disorder, you're not three persons in one being. Okay? Um, so how do we... How do we look at that and say, well, how are we made in your image, God? You know, Adam started out in the Garden of Eden in paradise. He hadn't sinned yet, and God still said he needs someone. He needs a friend. 
He needs community. He wasn't going to find community with, with fish or beasts or, you know, birds or the thing, creeping things that crawl on the earth. He found it in Eve. He found community in someone that was also made in the likeness of God. From the very beginning, God's intention was community because we were made in his image. So, it's important. Community is important. We believe that it's vital. We believe that's a key aspect of what we're doing here. We believe that living together is vital to our growth, to our health, to every aspect of what God wants for us. He never, he didn't save you to be just you and him. He saved you into his family. His family and him are, it's one and the same. When he talks about, you know, being in his kingdom, being in his family, being his servant, you're all of those things to God and to his people. You know, it's a little bit of a, a cheesy thing, but I, I like cheesy things. Um, someone wants to reference, you know, like the cross is an image of God in his church because, you know, there's the vertical part of the cross and then the horizontal part that's held up by the vertical part. You know, our relationship with God holds up our relationship with others. You can't separate those things. You know, I don't know if that was his, the intended purpose of the cross or whatever. God can do something like that, but it's a cool thing to think about anyways. But this scripture here alone shows that we are called to be with others. We're also a family of families. Um, scripture's full of family wording. <laughs> it's, and it's not an accident. Okay, that we're supposed to relate to each other not just as, as you know, peers or, or workplace friends or, I don't know, whatever uh, trite, unmeaningful relationships we may have. He gave us family as an image to be like, this is what we're supposed to be like. We're supposed to share a house together. We're supposed to share a kitchen together. We're supposed to share a table together where we eat with each other, where we do life with each other. You know, if, if you're living in a household with someone and there's an issue with being able to pay rent, it's not just the one person's issue. All of you are in trouble if that person's having trouble paying rent. So like, your, your successes are one, your Troubles are one. You're sharing life in every aspect of it. And that's what we mean by it. it's a family of families. It's, we are called not just to be in community, but what does community look like? It looks like family. And not, not our messed up American idea of what family is. Like, you know, I don't, can't tell you how many, you know, divorce is not a good image of what God's family looks like. You know, hating your brothers and sisters isn't a good image of what God's family looks like. And that happens. It happens a lot in our culture because we're broken people. But that doesn't mean we should, we should conform God's word to our experience. We should conform our experience to God's word. We should contemplate, like, why is this relationship difficult? Why am I not, why don't I have any friends? Why don't, why has my family abandoned me? Or why have I abandoned my family? Is it because I'm living the way that God wants me to? Or, you know, our experiences don't inform God's word. God's word informs our experiences. We put too much weight on, well, I didn't have a good sibling relationship. Or I thought siblings were supposed to just hate each other. That's not what God's word says. So that'd be an interesting thing. If you want to get into more of that, I'd read When the Church Was a Family or Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, there's lots of other books if you want to ask me about it. But you need to get an idea of what family looks like first if you're going to understand what we mean by a family of families. I think as far as you know, families go, I 
didn't necessarily have uh, a perfect family, but I had a really good family from hearing other people's talks about what their families were like. I'm like, oh, that's tough. I didn't have to go through that. Um, and the reason is because my parents, after my oldest sister was born about a year, they, you know, they grew up in the church, but about a year after they had their first kid, they uh, joined a fellowship of, of Christians who were like way more zealous for the Lord, and it changed their lives. They're like, we're born again now. Like our hearts are, are new, and they conformed their lives to God's word. And it was difficult for them. They made a lot of sacrifices. We made a lot of sacrifices as, as a whole family to guard our family unit, so to speak. Um, my mom, I can't tell you how many times my mom and my dad, we would be in a fight with us as siblings and they'd say, I don't care whose fault it is, you're going to make up. And you're, we're not moving until you make up. You know, it wasn't like, I just want the house to be quiet. No, it's, I want my children's relationships to be restored. And they put in the extra time to do that. They moved things around so that we could eat together as a family. We guarded and fought for family dinners. Because, you know, you've got, there's five of us kids, and we were all three years apart, so different stages of our lives doing who knows what, you know, music, sports, all kinds of things, interests that we wanted to do, and we still met together regularly as a family and ate dinner together. My mom saw it important, you know, both my parents saw it as so important that they express their hearts to us and guard us and, and teach us that, you know, while my mom was working part-time as a, a labor and delivery nurse nights, she homeschooled us. She lost a lot of sleep because of that. But it was because they were guarding this family, they saw it as important. And that's, we see this as important. We see doing community together with each other as a family as important. So when I first came to this church, I saw that. And I wouldn't say it was the first time I saw it in a church, but it was the first time it really looked like my family did. To that level, to that degree, what the community looked like, what being a family of families looked like. You know, lending a, someone your car because you've got an extra car that you don't need that much, and they just, their car just broke down. Or covering their costs, or, or whatever it is. I'm like, those are things I experienced in my home, and they're things I've experienced here, and it's something we guard, and is vital to us, and sets us apart, I think. So that's super important. That's GCF is community. It's a family of families. So Matthew 12, 46 through 50 says, while he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mothers or his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, look, your mother and brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus replied to one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And extending his hand towards his disciples, he said, behold, my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. So family is important to God in scripture. There's pro-family scriptures, but then there's ones like this that seem like it's anti-family, but it's not. God says there's a more important family than your physical family, and that's first and foremost your Christian family. If, if your physical family's purposes are against your Christian family's purposes, go with your Christian family. And if you're blessed, that's one and the same. My family worked not because we were all physically family, but because first and foremost, we were brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's how my parents conducted our household. First and foremost, it wasn't... Uh, my dad never, you know, we watched a movie recently where this kid, like, found his identity and his, his dad wrote, like, 
on on a present to him before he died, like, you know, Joneses don't give up or something like that. You know, their last name and we don't give up. And so we've learned that he doesn't give up because he's a part of this family. It's like, no, my dad never said like, this is what Williamses do. He said, this is what Christians do. My identity was always first to Christ. And that's why they, you know, they supported us moving out and finding our own congregations where I know a lot of parents are like, no, you got to stay with me and in this location and you've got to do life with me because we're blood. Uh, I went to another church where, where this guy, he'd always say, he was a very wise old man, always really like put in a lot with the Lord, a lot of years, a lot of struggle and wrestling and he'd always say, we're blood brothers. The blood of Christ runs deeper than the blood in your family. So that's important. That's what we mean by family of families. That's, what, that's how you reconcile God loves family, yes. But what family does he love the most? His family. I was blessed to have an all-Christian family. And it's tough when you don't. But just because something's tough doesn't mean you get a free pass to disobey God's word. His family comes first. And that's what we think is really important here is family of families. So I'm moving super slow. On to discipleship and outreach. So discipleship, this is something I also was like, um, I'll just say this now. Before I came to church here, uh, I joined their outreach program, which we'll talk about in a little bit uh, Rock Campus Fellowship at Wright State um, was my first interaction with this church, this congregation. And for about a year, I was a, in my second semester as a sophomore. So for about a year, I was looking for a congregation for me to join in, in Dayton. Or even a campus group. Some group, some local expression of God's church where I could find community. Because it was a long way to drive an hour and a half to be with my family every week, who was my only community at the time. And so there were some things that were on my heart. You know, my brother expressed one thing to me. He said, Daniel, community is important. So I was like, okay, I got to find a community because my brother says it's important. (laughs) Um, And I was feeling the effects of not having community. So it was pretty evident to me that it was. I, I... bore the price and the burden of not being in community. Which a lot of people are right now. You want to talk about mental health? I talked about that isolation thing. How many people are living around a lot of people and are isolated? We isolate ourselves because we don't think we're worthy or whatever. You know, anyway, so... Community is important. And then he was first, for the first time ever, he was getting discipled in his church. And, and he's like, Daniel, discipleship's really important. I was like, okay, older brother, I'll do whatever you say. <laughs> I really looked up to him. Um, super important to me. I grew up in a charismatic background where the gifts of the Holy Spirit were seen as really important. And, and the Holy Spirit was the power to change. The Holy Spirit was what revealed God's word to us. The Holy Spirit was, you know, who's leading us? God through his Holy Spirit. That's how he communicates with his world. And I knew that was important. So I was like, got to find a charismatic group. Got to find people who like actually believe that the Holy Spirit is leading us and empowering us. That I don't want some like wimpy worship where I'm not changed. You know, I don't want to be in dead worship. That's like isolation from God. And that's really tough. And then we had just joined, before I went to, to college and during throughout high school, we had just joined a, a reformed church which had a super big emphasis on God's word. And I started to realize the depth of, of the meaning of that and, and how important it is to understand church doctrine and, and history and why we do liturgy, why we say the creeds on Sunday and things like that. And I was like, oh, there's so much treasure in God's word that I didn't realize before because I would always say, well, the Holy Spirit's leading me. So yeah, the Holy Spirit leads us through God's word. 
and his transforming power. You can't separate those two. So I was like, well, I can't separate those. Let me find something like that. Unfortunately, that church I was going to that, that had the emphasis on the word was one with really dead worship. And for years, I had trouble experiencing God's presence, and that was tough. So I was like, how can I find anything that has all four of these things? And the Lord brought me to RCF. And I think the first night I was there, uh, our senior pastor, Greg Weiss, was having a Bible study on campus with a bunch of young, zealous-looking people who were taking notes and all this stuff. And I was like, what's this? They're taking notes. (laughs) There's never this much study or attention paid on a college campus. And he mentioned, he mentioned our, his emphasis on community. He was talking about his rediscovering and restoring biblical Christianity series, which I'll get back to that. But he's, basically, it's a series on what we're trying to do as a church, which is like 180-some you know, sermons long. Uh, and I'm trying to do it in one... <laughs> And Greg's been developing it for 40 years. Um, Anyway, so he mentioned community discipleship, specifically one-on-one discipleship, the charismatic gifts, and an emphasis on the Bible all in one night. So that was a big deal. Pretty cool. Changed my life. Haven't looked back. So discipleship is something we're all called to. We're all called to be discipled pretty much for the rest of our lives. There's always something you can learn from someone older and wiser and, and than you. And we're all called to disciple. And this is because Christ said so. Christ is the ultimate discipler. I looked it up. That's not a real word, but I'm going to use it. Discipler makes sense. He's the ultimate discipler. And he called us to do that because he did that. He says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So his idea of discipleship, first he's saying, authority has been given to me and now I'm giving it to you. Go. Do what I did. Disciple like I did. And he also makes a qualifying statement saying, all that I commanded. So discipleship's not just like, let's get them through a three-part series and then that's it. It's for all of life. It's not just for some, well, I'll disciple them so that they, you know, they memorize the books of the Bible or something, or, you know, I'll teach them how to read the Bible more. No, it's like for all of life. It's, yes, that, learning how to read your Bible. It's getting your finances right. It's helping you with relationships, helping you mourn, mourn the death of a close person or, or helping you navigate financial decisions or uh, career choices or, um, you know, all kinds of things like that. It's... Discipleship is deep, and it's broad. It's as broad as the word all is. So, this, this in our church is seen in two ways. One really special way that is separate than a lot of churches is one-on-one discipleship. I think almost everyone in our church is either discipling or being discipled one-on-one by someone right now. Almost everyone. That's a lot of people. 
that takes a lot of work too. That's like years of, of like heart prep and, and laboring and uh, it's imperfect, it's messy and, and we do it anyways because God called us to. And we also disciple through community. You know, I, I maybe may meet with someone one-on-one and, and get very pointed growth, encouragement and stuff like that. But then I get a lot of things just by being discipled by the community I'm in. You know, seeing or you know people being wise with their money, or, or you know, I was blessed to enter marriage after seeing, you know, over a handful of couples regularly who had fantastic marriages. And so I, you know, luckily God. God changed my mind and, and gave me the ability to think like, if I want a good marriage, I'm not going to try and do it on my own terms. I should do it how they're doing it because they have the fruit to prove it. They're not fighting with each other constantly. So what are they doing? Well, it's easy for me to see that because I'm with them all the time. I, they welcomed me into their house to have dinner. And I got to see how they did dinner, how they treated and spoke to each other. You know, I had my parents as a, as a kid to see their example, which was great. Um, and I've seen that exact same example repeated tons of times here in this congregation. And so it was easy for me. If I had my eyes opened if I was doing actual life with people. You know, on a surface, it's hard to see fruit. Or, or you can see the fruit, but you, it's hard to see, like, the driving force behind that if you're just on the surface. You got to get under the soil. You got to get down to the roots to see what's causing this fruit. You got to do life with people. You got to see them argue and see how they do it because you're going to argue if you're married, but there's a good way to do it and a really bad way to do it. There's a constructive way to do it and an unconstructive way to do it. You know, God's word says, I think it's 2 Corinthians 7, 10 or 15, 10, that says uh, that there's a godly grief that leads to zeal and a worldly grief that leads to death. And the same can be said about anything we do in life. There's a way that we can... You're going to get rained on. It's how you respond to it. You're going to have the heat put on you. Life happens. And what are you going to do when life happens? Are you going to tear each other down in an argument? Or are you going to build each other up in an argument and think, how can I be changed in this moment? What am I doing? And so community discipleship, like that was huge for me. Um, it's been an impact. But the one-on-one discipleship was another really great thing. So, those are the points about discipleship. Now, outreach. Again, you go back to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We call it the Great Commission. It says, go out into all the world. Not just this nation who's less dangerous or this nation who speaks the same language as me or you know, these people in my socioeconomic background. It's going to all the world and teach. And so we do that. We reach out as a church. Formally, we've done this in the context of Kids Rock House for kids. Um, I know we've done other groups. We've, you know, done tutoring groups for a group called Wiz Kids. And uh, I like some of us. We met at that. Like I think Josiah. We met Josiah through Wiz Kids. We did Rock Campus Fellowship. Um, you raise your hand if you got connected with GCF through Rock Campus Fellowship. <laughs> That's huge. College students are being left to their own devices to figure out what the world means. And they're in a den of thieves to try and figure that out. 
the college campus is probably the most dangerous thing for a budding Christian. <laughs> Street evangelism, something we've done. Uh, I know Stephen and Noel still do it regularly, and and uh, it's a blessing because you know there's not been a ton of fruit like from that in terms of people joining our church necessarily, but it's letting people know that Christians are out there and they care. You know, whether we plant the seed, someone else could be watering that seed. And the types of, it's not even just about that. When God calls us to disciple or to reach out, to go into the nations, he's not saying bring back a bunch of people. That's not the commandment. He doesn't give a quota in this verse. He doesn't give a number. He says, go and obey. And that's it. You ask God, well, why? Because I said so is what he says to you. If we got that through our heads, I, I think my life would change if I understood that better. Why do we obey God? Well, because he said so. Because he, why would the, the clay question the hands of the potter? <laughs> it's not your place to ask why. All right, so onto our About Us page. Running out of time. We're going to go long today. That's okay. Sorry, Nathan. <laughs> um, our summary page. This is where I told you about the background. So as you look at that, you can read that deeper and kind of hear our story. Um, but I can tell you that it's been, this church has grown very slowly. Um, this is another story back to my, my dad uh, and brother. Uh, my parents were always telling me to like have a big vision for like what God's called us to and things like that. And uh, super impactful. Spoke a lot of life into me. And I remember one particular conversation with my dad and my brother where he's like, you know, we have the, the, the skills, like the competency to go out there and start a mega church right now if we wanted to. You know, we, we have the, you know, maybe the charisma or the aptitude or whatever it takes to do that. We can go on YouTube and search how to build a mega church and figure it out, I'm pretty sure, and make money. And we could have lots of people in our church. And on the outside, it would seem like we have a lot of fruit and like we're doing something for the kingdom of God. But the depth of that would be so lacking. The idea of like how far the Christian church has been taking it in the, the Western world is like ridiculously gross. It's so shallow. Someone once said that the church in the West is miles wide and inches deep. That's not, that's not the level of discipleship that God was talking about, that Christ was talking about in Matthew 8 or 28. He's talking about something deeper. He's talking about people that can be taken from milk to meat. People that can do the discipling. Like there's a pattern here, a circle of life, if you will, of being discipled, discipling. Being discipled, discipling. That's how we grow. We don't be discipled. Okay, let's go get more people. Be discipled. No. Be discipled and disciple. Like, we need to take it further. We need to go deeper because that's where the Lord is. Why would you want to be a Christian and not know him deeper? So this church has a lot of weighty goals. Um, you'll see, for, later we'll look at our slogan and our mission, um, which kind of capture that in a better way. Um, but it's grown really slow. Um, because there's a lot to fix. There's a lot missing in our culture. There's a lot missing in us where we didn't have the benefit. You know, I had a great family to start with, and I had a lot to grow in, and I still do. I have a lot of garbage because of our culture to work through. And anyone who had, like, a really bad family has ten times more. 
And that's one of, the, you know, one of the things God convicts me of all the time is like, I gave you a really great head start. What have you done with it? You've squandered it. <laughs> but we have a lot to work through. Like, this is not something we can be trite and think it can be fixed in one week. This is something that if we have God's vision for it, will take centuries. This is something that we should be planning for right now to lay foundations for our children's 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 children to go and bear fruit from. If we want, you know, a, a new president's not going to fix America, guys. The United Nations isn't going to fix the world. The Paris Green Deal is not going to fix global warming. You know, like... the. The solution isn't going to be fixed by some policy or by someone else. No one else is coming. No one else is empowered by the Holy Spirit except God's people in his church. And that's, that's a weighty goal, and it takes a while. Anything worth doing takes a while. You know why wine was treasured for so long? Because it was hard work. It was a precious thing. Why was the fattened calf uh, regarded as, as good versus like chicken or goat? Because it was a lot harder work. A goat will eat anything. You put a goat in a field and it'll grow up and then you can eat it, but it's awful meat. It's not the fattened calf. It's not hard labor to grow a calf to make sure it doesn't have to work so hard so that it stays fat and plump for you. And like things worth it take time. So that's, this is worth it. So buckle in and, and get ready for a long haul. That's what we're about here. We're in it for the long haul. This isn't a mega church that can be built in two years. Another thing that was about this church, and, and again, we'll see this more in our mission and slogan, but it, it started in the inner city in an outreach to all kinds of people. You know, if you look around, like this is one of the most diverse churches I've, been, I've seen ever. This is one of the most diverse groups of people I've seen or been a part of. You know, I, there's some people that I'd naturally get along with because we're kind of similar and we have similar uh, backgrounds or whatever and it's easy to get along with them. But there's a lot of people in this church I would have never even met if it weren't for this church. And I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the differences in, in uh, backgrounds and personalities and, you know, this tension that all of that brings has brought me closer to God. Because my tendency is to go off to one side of the road. So we've, re you know, this church was built on reaching out to the lost. And it was, it was built on unrighteous people doing God's work. <laughs> unrighteous people forgiven by God. You know, that the, the level of humility of the leaders here blows my mind because, you know, I was... I have such a tendency to be prideful. And then again, I look around my community and I'm discipled by their humility. Our slogan, uh, acceptance as you are and empowerment to go fits into this reaching the lost, but knowing that discipleship goes so deep and that God's ability to take us out of that lostness and bring us into foundness is real. It's through his power he can do that. He can take a lost person and change them and make them found. He's, he came to set the captive free. That was his big thing. You read Luke 4, he came to set the captive free. He came to set us free. He came to give us Sabbath, to give us rest. And that's for everyone. You know, we all, no matter what our issue is, our issue causes us lost sleep. It causes us restlessness. I don't care if it's because you lost money in the stock market or you didn't, couldn't pay rent this week 
or you have cancer, or, you know, whatever the issue is, God came to set you free from that fear and anxiety. And he empowers us to do that through his means of grace. So, we'll get into those means of grace and what we believe. First and foremost, we start with the first question and answer on the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? That's a great place to start. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So if you look at anything we do, anything I've said today, you can trace it back to enjoying God forever and glorifying him. Those are one thing, one answer. So how do we glorify God? What's the next step? We advance his kingdom. It means having other people, more people glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what that means. That's what outreach and discipleship and community is all about. It's bringing God more glory and having more people enjoy him. And how do we do this? By his grace. So his grace is seen in three primary avenues. This is another key thing about our church that we believe, is we see God's grace reached out in three ways, and that's through his word, through his church, and through his Holy Spirit. Okay, And those three things are like, kind of like the trinity of God's grace. Like You can think of it that way. It's one thing, one grace, in three parts that are all connected and in concert and in symphony and working together. You know, they don't cause conflict, but they all inform each other. They all, they're inextricably intertwined. You can't separate them. It's like the faces of a coin. You can't separate, can't separate them. So first and foremost, we're going to try and separate them so we can understand them better, but understand that you can't have one without the other. And that's why like, finding a church that was passionate about the word and God's spirit was a big deal to me. Okay? Because that doesn't happen in many churches because it's hard. It's a hard thing to know more, but then say, I'm trusting more in you, God, and not my own understanding. It's a hard thing to reconcile, but it's worth it because God's called us to, to do that. So, word. We're a Reformed Evangelical Church, which basically boils down to God's word is sufficient for everything you need. This word is the basis of truth and reality, and if you have a question, go back to his word. If you have a fear, go back to his word. If you are angry, go back to his word. If you're confused, go back to his word. How do I know what I'm doing is correct or right? Go back to his word. How do I know what job I should have? Go back to his word. Start there. Start with reality. Work within God's reality. You think you have a better idea of what to do with your life than God and what he said in his word? No, you don't. That's foolishness. You don't want to be a part of this church if that's what you believe. And there's been people who left our church because we wouldn't compromise on that kind of stuff. So then the Spirit. The Spirit is God's finger. It's His... God works through His Holy Spirit. Christ, before He left, said, Don't worry, I'm leaving you. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm leaving you with the comforter, with the, with the one who, who's, it's better that I leave you with my spirit. It's better that I leave you with the Holy Spirit because you'll be, it's, instead of me just being one person, now God is everywhere with all, empowering all of us to do the works that Christ did. You know, it, it's interesting, if you want to look at it, Christ didn't start his ministry until after he was baptized by John and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. It was God's confirmation and anointing. You know, God obviously, Christ had the Holy Spirit with him the entire time. But that was a, a starting point where he's saying, 
I'm doing this work not through my acts of God. He laid down his, his deity, so to speak, and said, I'm going to do this how God wants me to do this. I'm going I'm to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Even Christ was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do his works. Okay? The Holy Spirit led Christ into the wilderness. So we're going to follow his lead and work by the leading of the Holy Spirit. This, the Holy Spirit it is what changes our hearts. It empowers us to grow and it, it, it enlightens God's word to us. And it's very important for us. You know, you need, like, there's, uh, Josiah talked about this a couple weeks ago, two types of knowing and one of them's like knowing experientially. Or knowing like, you, you know, it referenced like Adam knew Eve or, you know, like there's a knowing that goes to an experiential knowing that's far beyond just knowing facts and figures or knowing, you know, hearing a story. It's like knowing someone in the core of who you are and that doesn't happen outside of, of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you can read your, Paul read he had the whole scripture memorized. It took an experience with the Holy Spirit before his eyes were open to that, to what the word said. And he spent the rest of his life having his eyes open to God's word. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew more about the word than any of us combined. Like, he knew it. And he knew the commentary on it. And it wasn't enough for him to stop killing Christians. So if you think you can do it without God's empowering Holy Spirit, without encounters with God in worship, or without encounters with God in reading your Bible, or encounters with God with being in community, you can't. You don't know anything outside of what God's revealed to you. That's, we need the Holy Spirit. We need powerful worship because that, like, that changes hearts. Last week, I was in the kids' church, and the first meeting, I was having a really rough time with the kids, and I was feeling pretty discouraged. They were pretty crazy. And I was in a bad mood. I was probably bitter. And I came into worship. 180. God's like, who are you to be bitter about these kids that I love? And uh, he totally, you know, turned my bitter heart, heart, hard heart soft. And like this next meeting with the kids went great. Big deal. So, this is the Holy Spirit working in the church. Mark 16, 15, 20. Again, the Great Commission said differently. Uh, so this is the discipleship thing, the community thing, the outreach thing cannot happen without the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Sounds familiar. The one who has believed and has been baptized will be saved, but the one who has not believed will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Where was Christ? In heaven. So, who's, how's the Lord working with them? Through the Holy Spirit. And he confirmed the word by the signs that followed. If there's no power, God's not there. You're not allowing God to work. There's something in your heart that's stopping God. There's something that you're saying, God, I don't want you. What's the unforgivable sin? Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you're saying, God, I don't want you to work on me. I don't want you to change my heart. 
I don't want you to intervene. I don't think your words are more powerful than my words. I'm going to use my words. I don't want you here. That's what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is. And nothing's going to happen outside of the power of God. Outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he, Mark just said the Great Commission only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's important to us. We're going to fight for that. We're going to fight for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're going to fight for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to fight for powerful worship where our hearts are being changed. And we're not going to give that up because it's a part of who, what we believe as a church. So then the church is the next gift from God. It's his next avenue of grace. He uses the church to, to, to open God's word to us and to, you know, you're in worship with your other brothers and sisters and, and them being in worship encourages you to enter into God's presence. God's church is a gift to us. And again, it's family. It's a gift to not have to make a hard life decision alone. It's a gift to have decisions like, where am I going to live already decided for you? <laughs> it's a gift to be in a church where 20 people tell you you should ask this person out because you guys would be really good together and not have to worry about that yourself. If, if 20 people think it's a good idea, then you have a lot less to worry about, especially if you trust those people and they know you and they know this other person and they want the best for you. It's a gift. So, the last point here. Sorry I went over, guys. I'm not sorry. <laughs> it's not that much over. This is important. I mean, it's... If you haven't gotten this stuff, the heart of, of the church you're in... Any church you go to, you know, I've gone to churches for, you know, while I was on a trip for one week. I'm like, I'm not going to miss the Lord's Day, even though I'm not with my congregation. And I've done my research. I go on the website and I read this stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to commune with saints who have a similar heart to me. It's important. If you're going to do life with us, you want to know what our heart is. It's our mission. Again, uh, I suggest going out onto the website and listening to Greg's Rediscovering and Restoring Biblical Christianity service series. There's aspects that of the church that are rotted away, that are gangrene, that are infected in our culture. Almost every aspect of the church that's important is that way. And it always, you know, it, it gets healthier and healthier as time goes on. We are, we're sick people. <laughs> we're sick with sin. And we've distorted God's meaning of the church. And it takes a lot of us on our knees praying to God, show us what needs, what we can do better. Show us what your pattern is, Lord. And so rediscovering and restoring biblical Christianity is a look back into church history, uh, into, into God's word. It's a look into trying to understand God's heart about church, about biblical Christianity about what we're doing here and not just saying we're going to excel in one thing but if it takes hundreds of years we're going to excel at everything Amen. There's a, it's easy to excel at one thing it's easy to be so devoted to one thing you know like professional athletes they're, they put in a lot of work and they excel a lot at one thing, but they're not that, they're not superhuman. Okay? They're human. They've sacrificed everything else for being good at this one thing. I've not met a lot of professional athletes are, who are also, you know, 
brain doctors, <laughs> neurosurgeons. Like they're not, they're not doing both. You know, there's some people you call jacks of all trades, but the phrase goes further and says master of none. You can't be good, really good at a bunch of things as a human. You need superhumans. You need lots of years of giving people head starts. You need to, you need, for us to excel at all the things that the Lord wants us to excel at, it's not just going to take us, it's going to take all the Christians that came before us and all the Christians that come after us, all of us working together, acting in one accord. Amen. It, takes superhuman, it takes Christians empowered by the Holy Spirit, informed by His Word, working as a church. It takes God's grace. This is not something mere humans can do. And that's why it's so glorious and praiseworthy because God's doing it. And that's, this is what's at the heart of this church. It's saying it's so important that just because it'd be easier to do worship really well and let, you know, disciple, discipleship slack or, or community slack or, or whatever, we're not going to do that. We're going to try really hard at all things, even though it's an uphill battle the whole way. Because that's what God wants, and he's going to empower us to get up that hill. He's what we sow today is going to change the world in hundreds of years, completely. The, there were men and women who gave their lives to get you the word of God in your own language. That was a hard thing. That was a really hard thing. There was obstacles at every step and they didn't give up. They didn't bear the fruit of that. They lived under persecution They didn't do it for themselves. They did it first and foremost for God and second for you. You're bearing the fruit of it that we can meet here today and not be persecuted. You're here today, you know, you can read dozens of translations in your own language if you want, and they're all enriching and showing you more about God. And they didn't see that fruit. They didn't do it for themselves, they did it for you. And that's, that's what we're about here. We're not doing things just for ourselves. We're not doing church to make it more comfortable for ourselves. We're not, you know, we're making decisions as a church like paying off our debt quicker to this building instead of getting new carpet because sure, new carpet would look a lot better and probably, you know, what make church a little bit nicer on Sundays. I don't know, but it it's better to be financially stable for the future of this movement, of this church, than to have new carpets. We're not thinking about just what, you know, ask not what your church can do for you, ask what you can do for your church. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so this is our heart. Um, I hope I got it across. And it, it's a hard thing to get across. It's something that you should be thinking about always because you're not just called to do the Christian life for yourself. It's not that simple. It's, that's so trite. You can get that anywhere else than here. You can get self-serving community 
you know. Like a real friend is not a friend who's a user. A real church you know, member is not a church member who's a user. You don't come in here and the second things get tough, if you're a user, you're going to leave. Things are going to get tough. It's not going to be convenient for you. This vision is not convenient. (laughs) You know, there's people, the reason we have almost everyone being discipled one-on-one is because there's a lot of people giving up every free night they have a week to meet with people. I'm not going to name names, but like there's people who are giving up every free moment to do what God's called them to do. Join with me in prayer as we close. Lord, we thank you for your vision and your purpose. We pray that your Holy Spirit would change our hearts and soften them enough that this would dwell deep within us. Tabernacle in our hearts, Lord. Rest on us, God. Bring this to our thought processes. Change the way we think from thinking about us to thinking about you, Lord. Free us from being so wrapped up in ourselves that we make idols out of, of our comfort or out of our sin or out of our guilt, Lord, <laughs> or our feelings. Like, Free us from idol worship, Lord. Set us free from being in, in, in bondage to ourselves. Let us be your servants because your courts are wonderful, Lord. Give us depth, weight, and gravity when considering your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.